0: good morning you're about as awake as I feel come on good morning <laughs> it is it is a pleasure to be with you here this morning especially since thank you uh, first of all for those of you who prayed me through this week um, if I don't know if you saw the post on Facebook but for those who responded thank you so much um, <clears throat> this was one of the hardest weeks of uh, a viral infection upper respiratory I think I've had in a while um, but it resulted in double pink eye, which was so much fun. So if I keep my distance today, it's, I'm not contagious anymore. But just so you know, I'm very grateful, though, that uh, all of you prayed me through and I could be here. I finally got my voice back, uh, so we're ready to go. We have had a, a pretty awesome series. Even though I wasn't here every week, I was tuning in and making sure that I was tracking with what Matt and Brian and Barb uh, brought over the last couple of weeks as we went through the book of Philippians. And uh, I just want to recap briefly. Where, where they took us. Matt opened us up by understanding that, that this is a letter that Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. And, and he's, he's basically encouraging them. He's, he's trying to uh, think if you sent a letter to somebody of great importance, you would have all kinds of information in there. And so we're actually having the privilege to read a letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians to say, hey, Keep on keeping on as you're dealing with the things of, and struggling with what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Here's the things that I'm giving to you to encourage you as somebody who is a follower of Jesus. So we get to read Paul's letter. And, and in there, he, he, you know, he's talking about the trials that he's had and, and being in and out of prison. And, and he says, you know, ultimately, if I die here, if I, if I die in prison, to, to live as Christ, to die is gain. He says, I, you know, I want to I depart and be with Jesus, but it's better for you that I, I, I stay here, but whatever it ends up being, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So Matt opened us up with that understanding. This is where Paul's coming from, that it, it, it really is all about Jesus. And then Brian took us to the point where, it, and the focus of, of his week was you know, ha, that we should have a mindset like Jesus, that Jesus, who was in very nature God, didn't consider that equality with God something to hang on to, but rather emptied himself taking on the nature of a servant and sacrificing himself for the, for the purposes, the greatest good that God had. Brian reminded us that it's not about our value. It's about his victory. It's not about our value. It's about his victory. And then Barb, she, she came, and one of the things she said is she's like, I, at this point in my life, I want to know him. She centered around the verse that let go of all things, gain Jesus, and press on to take hold of that which he took hold of us for. He's a reward greater than our resume. It really doesn't matter what we have done and what we can list as our accomplishment, but he alone is the greatest reward. So throughout the letter, Paul has asked the Philippians to follow his example and to learn how to follow Jesus' example. But notice what Paul does, what he talks about. It's not a whole lot of do, is it? He doesn't give them a whole lot of action steps and programs to follow and boxes to check. Notice what he talks about most are ways of being, ways of understanding, a mindset more specifically. Paul understands that if we have a proper mindset that's important, but we need to ask the question, why? Why is a mindset more important than just our actions, and, and Paul's going to unpack that in the final chapter here with the Philippians. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, or you're online and you want to go there, go for it. We're also going to have the scriptures up here. We're just going to dive right in. Philippians 4, verse 1, Paul says, therefore, whenever you see a therefore, you have to ask the question, what, anybody remember? What is the therefore, there for? right? So Paul is taking the, the whole chapter, four, and he's saying, therefore, meaning everything I've said in chapters one, two, and three lead up to this point. So therefore, since, since I've already talked about all this stuff, to live in Christ as die as gain, to have Jesus' mindset, to let go of everything and let Jesus be our reward. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, beloved and longed for, my joy and my crown, Stand firm in the lord in this way so i don't know if you notice it but you know sometimes when i'm reading scripture like little things will jump out at me and, and sometimes you gloss right over stuff like that where he says stand firm in the lord in this way and then he talks to judias and Tiki, and you know he has this little thing about the ladies and making sure the ladies get along you know and you can kind of lose the fact that what he's about to lay out is how to stand firm so he says stand firm in this way so he's going to unpack that for us and to stand, and, and, and to stand, so this is your key point. If you don't remember anything else today, remember this key point. To stand firm in a relationship with Jesus, to join him and stay close to him, I need his mindset. That is, that is like the single greatest point of the whole message today. If I'm going to stand firm in a relationship with Jesus, if I'm going to stay close to him and join him, I need his mindset. So Let's start with this. What is a mindset? And You can go and you can Google this. There's all kinds of sites, have a lot of different ones. I just chose the fisherinstitute.com because I like the wording, um, not because I, you know, I'm ascribing to them as an organization or anything, but um, what is a mindset? A mindset refers to a person's ingrained beliefs, attitudes, and perspectives on the world. It plays a crucial role in decision-making and shaping one's viewpoint. Does that make sense? That's pretty much what we'd expect, right? A mindset is all those beliefs, those attitudes, those perspectives that we have about the world that shape, they play a crucial role in shaping how we view things. There's two kinds of mindsets, classically in psychology. One is a fixed mindset, the other is a growth mindset. A fixed mindset sort of sounds cool and it would be like, yeah, well, that's what you would expect us to say we want a fixed mindset on scripture, right? But actually, psychologically, a fixed mindset is one that gets stuck believing impossibilities. A fixed mindset is one that believes that everything you've ever heard or everything that was ever said about you, everything that you've ever believed is an impossibility. That's stuck. It's fixed. It's not changing. So if somebody told you all your life you're a no good, dirty, rotten Guess what? A fixed mindset says, well, I'm a no good dirty rotten. So every, everything that you face in life, you're going to come at it with that mindset stuck because you have a fixed belief that's incorrect, but it's fixed. But a growth mindset sees the potential, okay? A growth mindset isn't interested in just change for change's sake. A growth mindset sees things clearly and sees the potential that's there and how that might shift what was previously known. Make sense? So, in psychological terms, Paul wants us to have a growth mindset based on core principles that Jesus taught, core principles that empower us to live like and live with Jesus. And he gives us seven of them in this passage. I can't go deep on all seven or we'll be here all afternoon. But uh, we are going to hit them lightly. And actually, I think that Paul sort of does them in reverse order, and I'll unpack that a little bit later. But <clears throat> let's just start with what are the seven elements that Paul says, hey, if we're going to have a, a Christ-like mindset, here's the seven things. And we're just, it's just verse by verse. So verse, um, uh, <clears throat> verse four, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, Rejoice. Element one, attitude of gratitude. For those of you who were here during the TUDE series that we did, and I had the disc golf cage out here, and we talked about you know, attitude determines altitude, and you saw me throw the disc into the cage and all that stuff. Like you can go back and, and consider maybe this point as like point two onto that message series, but an attitude of gratitude is a mindset that we're able to thank God even for difficult situations. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you thanked God for a difficult situation. <laughs> I recently learned something about tomatoes, and I'm just going to take a complete... Because I know if I meddle with us, like sometimes the resistance, like, oh, don't... You know, you're in my house. Like, get out of my house. You're not allowed to talk to me here. So we're going to talk about tomatoes, and then you can make the connection between yourself and the tomato plant. Not that I'm calling you vegetables, I'm just saying. So I learned that tomatoes actually become more fruitful if you heavily prune them as they're growing to the point where like, so I've never done this. I was really uncomfortable doing this, but I've done it now and I'm starting to see the results. But you, you literally like clip off all of the leaves and all of the suckers that come up through and, and you do like anytime it bears a tomato, you clip all the branches underneath it. So you have this stalk and then you've got like this, like it looks like a little tomato tree is what it ends up looking like. And I thought, wow, that's really weird and I'm uncomfortable doing that. But the truth is It minimizes the amount of moisture around the base of the plant. It minimizes the amount of moisture on the leaves of the plant, and tomatoes are prone to disease because of the moisture, or irregular watering, or what have you. So it's uncomfortable, I'm sure. And if I was a tomato plant, I'd be like, hey, I put a lot of effort into growing that branch. What are you doing? Right? I mean, put yourself in that position. Somebody comes along and says, you don't need that. uh. Do we approach God with that mindset? God, thank you for that challenge because you know that humans are actually like tomato plants. They've shown this again and again and again in study after study, not that we're vegetables, but just that, that we do not grow without adversity. We don't. We tend to stay comfortable and we don't grow unless we are challenged. And so do we thank God for challenging situations. Paul invites us to take our eyes off the missing branches and the things that are broken off in adversity and to start to celebrate the greater harvest that will come as a result. Let that land for a minute. So next time you go into a challenging situation, you would be like, all right, this is really uncomfortable. This hurts God, but I'm going to thank you for it, not because of the way this feels at the moment, but because I know you're doing this for a harvest that's coming. There's fruit that's gonna come as a result of this. So I'm looking ahead to that. You know that's the very attitude of Jesus as he went to the cross. You are joining Jesus in that moment. That was mindset one. That was element one. (laughs) Everybody wanna pack up and go home? Is that was enough? All right, let's go to the rest. So you go to the next one. He says in verses five through seven, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. That word near in the Greek means at hand, meaning right here. Present. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's a lot in that passage, and I I don't have time to unpack all of that, but the element that he's trying to help us understand is humble awareness, humble awareness, and those two words are very powerful words because humble means I need to put my own perspectives my own desires aside, and awareness is I have to actually open my eyes and actually open my spiritual eyes and be aware of what's happening broader than just what I see as my circumstance. This one is super easy for me to mess up, all right? This is, I'm going to just tell on myself. When I'm on task or I'm in go mode, like the task takes over. People can be an impediment for me, as much as I love people. Like task, and some of you, yeah, some of you are going, yeah, huh? Yep, yeah, I know what that is. You know, other people are like, yeah, I hate people like you because <laughs> <laughs> you make me feel bad whenever we're trying to do something because you're like, come on, get to it. You know, like, yeah, I get it. You need to understand, as recently as us being in Korea, this is a struggle for me. Safety, food, travel, making sure we execute the plan that Allison has so diligently planned for us, that's all at the front. The tasks are all at the front. And I can be pretty harsh on going after the task and the mission because my mindset is on the task at hand as if it depends on me, instead of having a humble awareness of who is at hand and how much depends on him. Now, for some of you, they may not land. For those of you who does, like God bless you, because I know the struggle is real. To have that awareness and cultivate it enough to be like, whoa, 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 as much as I want to engage right now, I probably should stop and pray, because that's the last thing you feel like doing at that moment. You're not on time. Somebody's, mess- you know, just, you just want to point out all the things that are off, off task. It's like, no, no, no. Lord, what are you doing in this moment? Humble awareness. Another aspect of humble awareness is in the word petition. See, we like to ask God for stuff in prayer. We like to get anxious about the stuff going on in our life. We're like, God, please, God, please do this. God, please heal so-and-so. God, please. You know, it's almost like we're spiritual gunslingers, like, God, God, like, God, as if he doesn't know already this stuff is going on, right? But we come with this sense of urgency and a sense of anxiety. But the word petition requires awareness. If you ever signed up, has anybody ever signed a petition? You ever had to work with a petition? Okay, so you understand that it's not just you. You may initiate, but you need a community of people to thoughtfully come around, what is the issue? What's the solution to this issue? And they sign the petition, and you take that petition not as a complaint, not as a, hey, please do something. It's a, hey, here's what's wrong, and here's the solution we're asking for, right? It's a very thoughtful, and it's a, it has a broader awareness than just your immediate circumstance. So humble awareness connected with prayer means that we come to prayer with this sense of petitioning God. What does that look like? Well, what if we took the time to thoughtfully develop the awareness beyond our immediate situation? We want to go to God and pray about something. It's like, well, okay. It's just like we started off. I feel like it's a bad situation. Is there, some, is there a harvest that's going to come? Is this just pruning? Is this just a bad thing or is this pruning? So we're cultivating that awareness. And, and if that's the case, then, well, who else is this going to affect? Do we approach our requests to God with a gratefulness for what He's already done? Because sometimes it's like, you know, God, hey, I'm so glad you you helped me get better this week and you paid for this and you provided that, but, you know, what have you done for me lately? There's this, this approach that we have to God instead of recognizing and saying, you're so awesome. Like, you have given so much. This thing's heavy on me. But, God, I know you owe me nothing. You owe me nothing. I'm so simple, simply grateful for what you've done, but I see this thing, God, show me. And, and part of petitioning is coming in prayer as a learner and a listener, not just an asker. So God, this is a heavy concern for me, but help me see what you see in this situation. So humble awareness. Then he says this. This is probably a verse that you've seen, you know, on... on uh, in memes or on posters or those like, like wooden plaques that people hang in their, in their house. But he says, <clears throat> finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable or excellent or praiseworthy in any way, think about such things. This element is called the passion for truth. And I'll start that one with a question. Are we willing to cut off automatic negative thoughts before we let them take root? Because we're so passionate about what's true, not just what we feel. Right? And I get it. Like, I get it from the psychology standpoint. Like, those of you who wrestle with stuff like this, I know intrusive and automatic negative thoughts, they're just, like, they're there. But, but truth can unwind those. That when they hit, we need to take the moment and go, is that true. And if we can't discern if it's true, God is that true. And I'm not going to allow that thought to root. I'm not going to allow it to consume my, my energy, my emotions until I know whether it's true. See, if we develop and we feed our minds things that help us organize and manage our thoughts rather than be a slave to how we feel, then that starts to help us be able to manage them as they come in. Let me say it this way. If our thoughts resemble a Facebook, a Twitter, an Instagram, Snap, or TikTok feed, then what we've been conditioning our minds for is chaos. Because it's just a lot of random information, constantly changing gears, never stopping, never stopping, always something else there. And if that's your mindset, that's where your mind operates. That's not just a psychological malady. Your brain is somewhat what they call plastic. It is is shapeable. And you can teach it to function differently. But it starts with a mindset that says, I have a passion for what is true. I need, in order to rewire, you have to have something, a stake in the ground, a fixed point that you can say, this is true. And then you can start to work things around that. Dismissing thoughts that don't fit, accepting things that do, and literally rebuilding the way that you think. Another another way of approaching a passion for truth is do we take the time to actually know what is true? And I know in the last several years with the pandemic and the way our politics and everything's going, it's been really hard because there's so many experts willing to tell us a whole bunch of information. And we don't have the expertise and we don't have the connections to actually test all the time whether or not it's true. But do we even make the effort? Yeah, you know, sometimes we get we get comfortable with just listening to certain voices. You know, God forbid that you should ever listen to Gilbert or me alone. And never test anything that we say. Like that, like You should test it. You should learn for yourself in Scripture. Like, is this true? I don't know Greek. Well, there's plenty of tools out there that actually can show you the Greek word. The only thing you need to be careful of is people who have legitimately departed from the truth. And they use it to try and mislead people. But that takes time to learn who those people are. Where those sources are. What perspectives they have and why they have them. We just don't like to do it because it takes time, and we have so much information. So a passion for truth means not only am I going to work on my, my mental framework, but also am I willing to do the work to figure out what is actually true. And one other point on that, what is true isn't always comfortable. See, one thing I don't want us to get out of coming to this mindset is, you know, when Paul says, whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is excellent and praiseworthy or admirable in any way, you know, sometimes we're like, okay, flowers and roses and unicorns, and you're like, that's, that's kind of where we go with it, right? It's like, it's whatever is good. But what is true is not always comfortable. What is true can be downright painful, which takes us back to element number one it may be pruning. What is true in our culture right now is that we're divided, and it's been true for a long time. See, when Paul says whatever's good, whatever's right, whatever's true, we think what's nice. Well, nice is drugs. Nice is this place where everybody's like, hey, man, like nothing matters. Woo. You know, we're just killing the pain. We're surviving. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying yes, whatever is good, right, excellent, and praiseworthy, celebrate those things. But we also need to be grounded in what is true, because if we're grounded in what is true, we can see those things and we can lean into those things, so that more good comes about rather than getting stuck. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna side rail on this one just for a second. I actually uh, used to uh, when I was in the corporate world. Um, let's just say I had a very difficult conversation. My, my role was in staffing and recruiting. I was working for a multinational global client, um, billions of dollars in their portfolio. And I'm working with the chief diversity officer for the company. And one of the positions that I had was, a, they had several diversity roles up, and um, the company at the same time, in the midst of the pandemic, was putting in a vaccine mandate. And in the midst of this conversation, the, the, the chief officer says to me, hey, can we, can, we like, can we just talk for a second? And I was like, sure. And she's like, I want your honest opinion. Okay. And she says, she, she herself is a person of color. Okay, so understand she's, she's coming from a particular perspective as she approaches this conversation. She says, look, I feel like we need, I've been told we need to take one of these diversity positions down. And she said, I'm really concerned. Do you think it's gonna hurt us as a company if people see that particular position come down. And I thought about it for a minute and I said to her, look, honestly, positions go up and come down all the time. I said, is this an internal or an external pressure that you're concerned about? She says, well, probably more internally because she said, I would know we have some people who really watch these roles. I said, okay. I said, well, in that case, you need to be able to have a conversation with their manager and them, when that position comes down, if they have a problem with it, and just explain to them, this is a budget issue. We've had to cut positions all across the company, and this is just one of a, one of a few that we need to, to set aside. If we have the budget in the future, we're going to open it back up. And I said, and deal with it from that way with integrity within the company. I said, can I be equally candid back to you uh, in my answer? And she says, absolutely. I said, okay. I said. If you're, I said, what I'm hearing you say is you're legitimately concerned about the company's image in the culture and whether they're a great diverse place to work for. And she said, 100%. I said, okay. I said, given what we currently know, and and again, this is going back to like early stages of the pandemic. We're getting information, you know, left and right. I said to her, my understanding is that 40 40 to 60% of the unvaccinated are people of color and your company is putting in a vaccine mandate for all corporate positions. And yet you say as a company that you have a, you have a push, you have a desire to have a diverse workforce at the corporate level in leadership levels. And I said, honestly, those two things to me would be more of a thing that I would go, wait a minute, why are we doing that if that's true? And she, she said to me something very uncomfortable she said, I thought but that by not doing this for our warehouse and our manufacturing positions, that would offset it. Let that truth land for you for a second. A company that stated goal is to have diversity in its leadership positions has a vaccine mandate that they know will impact people of color disproportionately and then turns the corner and says, well, but our manufacturing positions, we didn't do that for. And one of the things that I know is they have a facility in the South that the predominant majority of the workers there are people of color. So their percentages wouldn't shift overall. You got to understand how hot I was. I was angry because that truth was that they were willing to discriminate over a vaccine. They put a political agenda, a cautionary agenda that we now know wasn't necessary. And they're asking me about, you know, are we going to reach our stated goals? I was mad. I was really mad. Allison was in the room when I had that call because it's unacceptable. See, a truth of this world that's uncomfortable, the world approaches us having differences from the standpoint of saying, you must value our differences so that you can learn to appreciate one another as people. And while initially that sounds noble, that is actually objectification. Because as an artist myself, I could go to art galleries and I appreciate the aesthetic of a particular piece of art and I'm drawn to it because of its aesthetic. But as I grow as an artist, guess what I don't look at as much anymore, the aesthetic. I look at the quality of the work and the amount of effort that was put into that work to understand how that piece was made. See, the Bible is exactly opposite to the world's way of approaching how we relate to one another. The Bible says, value people and learn from one another's differences. Not value our differences to the point where then we're forced to try to learn from each other. It doesn't work that way. LeVar Burton said it years ago that we are in a state of the heart, that if we're ever going to close some of the gaps that we have in our culture, cultures, it's a state of the heart. No legislation, no principles, no initiatives are going to do that. We need to value each other as people and learn from our differences. That's an uncomfortable truth, and it's one we must face. And I'll leave it at that. Truth doesn't always feel good, but we need to have it as part of our mindset. Because if my, I was asked recently, how is it that you connect, like how do you connect with people who are different than you? Which I thought was a very interesting way of putting it. And I said, I see a person. It's not complicated. I see a person and I want to get to know them and then appreciate what makes them them and learn from them and them learn from me. All right, I'll let that one go. Paul moves on. Now, I'm I'm letting it go in the message, but we don't dare let go of that in our relationships and in our culture. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, he says, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This element is very simple. This element, (coughs) excuse me, still coughing some of that out. This element is teachable integrity is our mindset on learning how to live what is true. It's one thing for me to discern something is true, but it's my mindset that once I know it is true, I'm going to adjust my life and my practice to align, to be integrous, to have integrity with that truth. So having a middle schooler in my home, I'm reminded of my mindset at that age, and most middle school boys. Girls, I'll leave you out of this, you know, for, this, going back to gentleness, I'll leave you out of this, because uh, yours is more like 15, 16, and it's typically with your mom's, but we'll leave that alone. Middle school boys, in particular, when given instructions, they hear the words, their heads nod, Right? But even though their heads are nodding and they're hearing the words, they are simultaneously imagining ways to do what they're being told that do not conform to the laws of physics, time, or reality in general. Imagination is essential, okay? Don't, don't get me wrong. Imagination is essential. But setting your mind on learning how things work is as important a first step as imagination is to helping... Helping him, having imagination actually help. Like, so having your mindset on learning how it actually works is more, is more important first, then imagination comes alongside to come up, come up with things that can actually help. And that's a little bit of what Paul's saying to the Philippians. Like, look, don't just head nod and then imagine like you live this, like, we gave you examples, we walked this together, we, we did this together. Put it into practice. Have a mindset that says, I'm grasping everything that Paul and Jesus taught us so that we can have the teachable integrity. We've learned it, and we're now focused on living it out. Verses 12 and 13, he says this, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength? Strength. This is, this is a verse that is, is personally important to me, has always been important to me, um, because for me, it's always been an assumption. Like, I've, I've rarely had a hesitation about doing anything because there's always been an assumption. If, if, if God, God can empower me to do anything, just go do it. Like, now, for me, that's a problem because if I'm a task-driven person, <laughs> the assumption is I'll just go and do it, and I don't stop and be like, hey, wait a minute. Are you actually empowering me to do this right now? And that's where I get myself in trouble with the thing I mentioned earlier. We'll just go and do. And it's like God's like, yeah, that's not quite what I was empowering you to do. That was that was all you. That wasn't me. So don't, don't lay that one at my feet. But element five, coming off that verse, is confidence in his ability. Not confidence in our ability, even if he's given us that ability, confidence in his ability. See, contentment relies on knowing what God is capable of not what we're capable of. We're never content if it relies on us because we know what we're capable of. When I feel like I have to deliver on something and my ability has to make it happen, I get stressed. Anybody with me? Yep. I mean, you get it. I may deliver. I may even enjoy delivering it. Like in sports, you know know that moment, like you're going to dig in, but it's still Stress. If his ability is where my strength comes from, then contentment in the knowledge of what he can do overcomes my fear, it overcomes my stress, and it overcomes my need to push it to happen. I'll tell you, in the last year, I've, like, I feel like I've seen God do so many things. And I recently shared this with a couple of friends. Like, he said, what's, what's, your, what's been, you know, the highs and lows in your life? And I'm like, well, you know, this last year I didn't really think about it, but I feel like I haven't really done anything. I've been doing a crazy amount of stuff, but like I didn't deliver on all of it. It was all like God just, God did it. And I'm like, wow, that was so cool. Like a, a great example of that is we went on vacation and I'd been watering my garden for weeks and weeks and weeks and just praying about the drought, praying for God's rain, not just physically, but also that his spirit us here in this area, (laughs) I come back from Korea, it never stopped raining from the time we left, and the plants that were barely holding on, you know, every day they're just out there like, please give me water, like, they're they're like, and I just stood in front of my window and I went, you're so cool, you're so cool, you're so able, why do I stress about these things, as if it's on me to make it happen. And Paul says it this way in verse 19, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Element six, trust for his provision. God owns it all. God knows what we need. If our mindsets on trusting him to provide it, if we need it, then we're less inclined to chase it. We're less inclined to compete for it. And we're less inclined to pursue the recognition, the comfort, or the status that stuff brings. If he's enough and we know he has enough then every, and everything that is his he makes available to us when we need it, then we can relax about the stuff. We can focus on the gratefulness of what he's already provided and trust him for what we need. And then the last verse that we're going to look at here is verse 20. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Element seven, make his name great the mindset of having god's name be the one that's recognized not ours this is another difficult one but this is the one that's, so this is where i get to, to say it was a little bit in reverse but let me unpack this first this element of a jesus mindset is maybe the hardest but if we get it everything else falls into place Because if our thoughts are mostly concerned about our name, our reputation, what people think about us, how people treat us, then we, we have a hard time dealing with any of the other mindsets that Paul put out there. It's hard to be grateful. It's hard to pursue truth because we're so worried about all of these perceptions of us. But if we're concerned about making his name great, his reputation known, and helping people meet and think about him, all the rest fall into place. Look at it this way. If I'm willing to make his name great, why? Because I know he can provide anything that's needed for me or for anybody else. Then if I know he can provide for anybody and me, then I also have confidence in his ability. And if I have confidence in his ability, then I'm able to live with a certain amount of integrity because it's not based on my ability, it's on his ability. And I can bring all that together and say, yes, I just want to pursue you. I just want to walk with you and watch what happens. I'm going to learn from you and my life now starts aligning to you. And then because I see how well all of that is coming together under his name, I have a greater passion for truth. And that passion for truth is not because I went, oh, well, this is true and that's not true. It's because I'm going, oh, you're God and I'm not. Like, I see what you're doing. I see how you're doing it. I want more of you. I want more of what you're doing. So when that falls into place and we have that passion for truth, it brings us back to that humble awareness. And I rein myself in because I'm like, man, I don't want to do my own thing. I know what I can do. I want to see what you can do because you are the one who does miracles. You are the one who changes lives, not me. Which then brings us all the way back to an attitude of gratitude because when I realized that I didn't do it and I had nothing to do, it's not about my credit, it's not about my glory, it's not about my power. I can be like, God, your name is great and I'm so grateful that I get to be a part of what you're doing. So you see what I mean? Paul, Paul gave it to him backwards and I think he did that on purpose. So they realize they get to the end of it, it's like, yeah, I got I to gotta recognize that this is all about him First. And classic Paul, it's bookends, man. Didn't he start there at the beginning in chapter one? To live as Christ, to die as gain. And when you end in chapter four, it's like, yeah, if we make his name great, we have no problem dying because he's the one that's awesome and we just want to magnify and, and glorify him. So there you go, there's a lot. And we can unpack, like, we could spend time unpacking all seven of those. You can go deeper in those. I encourage you, small groups, uh, home groups, whatever you guys do, like, take time. And go through each of those elements and look at them verse by verse and say, what what would it take for me to have a mindset of any of these? Maybe start with the last one. What would it take for me to have a mindset of saying, God's name first, make his name great, rather than my my title, my position, who I am. And then walk through that, encouraging one another, challenging one another, and growing together. Good? Good. No, you don't. You can clap for him. Don't clap for me. <laughs> let's let's ask God to help us in this, uh, because He's willing, right? This isn't this isn't my thing. This is His thing. And so let's just go before Him and honestly ask Him, Lord. Everywhere that our mindset is out of line, let us let us line up with You, Father. We thank You so much that You love us, that You are so involved, that You care for us. God, there are hard things we see in our world. There are hard things we encounter personally. There are hard things we encounter as a community. Lord, there is is truth we sometimes don't want to look at because it is so painful. But part of the reason we resist is because we think it relies on us. And we forget to look to you. So Lord, would you help us today begin to shift our mindset the way that Paul challenged us, to have a mind like Jesus, that you are the one who's important, your name being great, the things that, the great good that you want to do, the way that you want your people to live as citizens of your kingdom together, that that is what we want to make great. And then all the rest falls into place because you will lead and guide and direct our thinking And our thinking being corrected by you and led by you will lead to actions that are corrected and aligned and have integrity with you. And then, Lord, we'll be able to love each other the way that you love us. We'll be able to serve each other the way that you have served us. So, Father, in gratefulness and in humility, we ask where our minds are out of alignment with you, God, shift our thinking. We give it to you this morning and we ask Holy Spirit, you are our counselor. You are the one who takes from what is Jesus and you you give it to us. So everywhere that we are deficient of a mindset like Jesus, Holy Spirit, counsel, challenge, correct, guide, empower us to have the mind of Jesus. And we will give you the honor and the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.